My name is Lauren Burns. I'm a sophomore at Biola University. Hi, my name is Alex Artuso, and I am a freshman at Biola University. Um, Alex and I were two of the three women on the Cambodia trip a little, what, like less than a week ago we were there. Um, so a team of 14, 14 people, three women. It was fun. Um, it was crazy, though. Um, it was an amazing trip. And as Dave talked about, we went to be dig wells. Um, we went to kind of like, I'm trying to say, not refurbish, but what is the word? Re, like, what am I trying to say? Re-remake wells. I don't know. Clean out wells is what I'm trying to say. Um, and so we were hot and dirty and sweaty. We were playing with kids. Um, at the end of the week, we got a chance to dedicate those wells that we either had dug or um, helped clean out. Um, and one of the stories that really stands out in my mind, um, each time that we dedicated a well, a group of people, me and Alex this time, um, went and talked about why a group of Americans um, came all the way to Cambodia to dig a well, not very well, <laughs> um, <laughs> But to, yeah, you say, um, <laughs> you get it, Joey. Um, and to hang out with these kids. And so we got to share about that. And then we also got to talk about the gospel, which was amazing. Um, we had to translate it the whole time because we can't speak Khmer. Um, and so it was great sharing that way. One of the times, um, this man wanted to accept Jesus. Um, and we saw that he was wearing this interesting little spiritual belt. It was kind of like a rope-like material that actually held his pants up. Um, and we learned from Paul, who we worked closely with. Um, he's a major Christian leader in Cambodia. Um, that this belt was a means of kind of a spiritual preservation for him and also in that society as well. Um, and so Paul was talking to this man in Khmer and he was saying, if you want to believe in Jesus, if you want to give your life to Jesus, you have to take off that belt. And so we have pictures here. I saw one earlier of us cutting the belt off of this guy. Um, Andrew, I think is in the crowd still maybe, um, speaking earlier, um, gave him his own belt to wear, which was amazing. Um, and it just made me think of Jesus talks, or God talks about earlier in the Old Testament about how he's the one true God um, and that other idols and other gods before him just fall down before that. We're not supposed to worship anyone else but him. Um, and then in the New Testament, James talks about how we should be doers instead of hearers of the word. Um, and seeing this new believer just so readily take off this, this belt that symbolized the God he worshiped beforehand and accept the belt of truth was amazing um, and just such a great like act of faith um, and one of his first moments of believing, which was really cool. So... Yeah, that was an incredible thing to see, is to see someone taking off what they had relied on for their whole lives for protection and instead accept Christ as their covering. Um, and that was actually very similar to what I learned on this trip. We're talking today about the Holy Spirit and missions, and one of the things that the Holy Spirit does through missions work is teach us a lot of humility. Um, and I like to say that, like, God always has our lives like right here in the palm of his hand. But sometimes he just makes that a little bit easier for us to see. <laughs> um, and so I have life-threatening allergies to tree nuts, so like cashews and things like that. And Cambodia is full of forests of cashew trees. <laughs> so I'm not sure why God wanted me to go there other than the fact that he was my covering and he was literally preserving my life through this whole trip. I didn't eat a lot. I ate mostly like rice and these like amazing fig bars that I almost said horrible. Amazing fig bars. <laughs> Praise God. It was food <laughs> um, that Robert brought. And it just... <laughs> 
it, it just really gave new meaning to the scripture that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that flows out of the mouth of God. And I was literally using this book as my lifeline while we were there. And I'm not going to say that it was because I had faith or I'm this amazing Christian. It was actually humbling for God to be like, yeah, so if I'm your covering in America, am I your covering in Cambodia too? When you're driving through forests of things that could kill you and there's no hospitals around? Like, what do you really put your trust in? And so now that I'm back here with you guys, I just want to encourage you and remind you that this is our breath of life. This is our daily bread. This isn't cake for special occasions. We can't throw this to the side and forget about it. We need this every moment. And when the Spirit is filling you up like breath, just living is an act of the Spirit. And so I just want to encourage you guys that whether you see it or not, the Spirit is working in your life if you will let him. So thank you for sending us, and thank you for listening. For the record, the the fig bars aren't amazing, but (laughs) they are food. Hi, my name is Joey, and I was able to go on the Cambodia trip. Um, And one of the things that, uh, as I've processed, one of the things that I've seen uh, while we were there and then as we come back as well uh, is just the word redemption just keeps coming to my mind over and over again. Uh, And so on our way to Cambodia, I knew that we were going to be digging wells. I knew that we were going to be working with kids. And I was like, great, I will help dig wells. Um, And I was like, kids, like high school age, college age, great. Um, And junior high, great. But we were working with like elementary uh, kids. And I had worked with elementary kids before. And I just got tired and I got stubborn. And it was just... No. Uh, And so I was like, I don't want to work with kids. I'll just dig wells. Uh, And so uh, we got there. We got to the first school. And I had sat down and some kids like surrounded me. And I was like, cool. Like, I'll take a picture with them. So I got out my phone, went to go take a selfie. And then all of a sudden, they all like ran over and like gathered around me. And one kid just like plopped himself right on my knee And at that moment, God was like, this is where I have you. And I was like, okay. Uh, Tried to dig wells. Um, I tried to dig dig some trenches. And uh, I had surgery in November for a hernia. And I started to do that. And it aggravated it. And I was like, I'm trying to run away from you, God, to get away from the kids. Uh, But you keep drawing me back. Uh, And so... Where redemption comes into play here was on our first uh, day when we landed, we landed there early, and so some plans got switched around, uh, and we went to um, uh, a high school that during the Khmer Rouge became a concentration camp. Uh, and it was a school that used to be a place of learning and um, just education, and the Khmer Rouge took that out, and then... We then got to go to these schools where education has now been reestablished. And uh, in the midst of that, um, being able to uh, become friends with two kids, uh, Visna and Maxara. 
and just being able to hang out with them and play with them and um, have them write their names down, have them teach me words, um, me teach them American words, English. Uh, and so it was fun. Um, but the redeeming part that I saw was that had God had taken something so dark uh, from that high school during the Khmer Rouge to now being able to go into a school and share the gospel. And during that time, uh, David and Dana uh, shared the gospel, and we were standing around as they were, and um, Sukon, which was our translator, shared the sinner's prayer, and I looked over at uh, Maksara, and he was praying to accept Christ into his life. And so something so dark at a school now became light and the gospel is being shared in these schools. And so just a ton of redemption in the midst of that. Would you pray with me? Lord, um, we are in the midst of your work. You're working in this world all the time. And sometimes we get to step into that in ways that show us more clearly, and other times it's more quiet, but you're always at work, and we want to be a part of that, and we ask that you would help us to grow in that, and even uh, through these stories and through the verses that we'll look at, would you just bring that alive in us, Holy Spirit, would you transform us? pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, would you open to uh, Acts chapter 1, please? Most of the message is actually written in the lives of people this morning. But I do want to make sure that we're really clear it's all grounded in Scripture because um, we don't ever want to depart from that reality. This is what God has given us, and then we see it lived out in our lives. So if you uh, have your Bible open there, let me just read a verse. It's familiar if you've been here during this Holy Spirit series, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Those are the last words Jesus says, literally the last words that he says. And immediately after that, he rises into heaven right in front of the apostles' eyes. He has spoken those words over them and over us. That's the uh, kind of lasting echo of the ministry of Jesus and it's central to everything that we do. And I want you to notice one thing really important, because when we come to looking at spirit-empowered mission, which is what we're talking about this morning, um, we have to understand what that means. What does spirit-empowered mission look like? And how, how do I join in with what God's doing? How do I, how do I become a part of that? And it's actually really implicit in this verse, very clearly. What I want you to notice is the verse is not a command. So often we look at scripture and we look for commands. Here's what to do. And there are plenty of commands in scripture, but so much of scripture is actually statements. And that's really important because our lives are not grounded in what we do, but in what God does. And so he often will tell us, here's what I've done and here's what I am doing. Now, in light of that, you go into. And if I reverse that, I, I mess everything up. It is simply true 
that God is at work in this world and the Spirit is empowering mission. He says, I will make you witnesses that he spoke over his apostles and it is still a word that is over us today. Every one of us in this room who is a follower of Jesus is already empowered by the Spirit for mission. I don't have to ask for it. I don't have to seek it. It's already the reality of my life. And in fact, fundamentally, what I need to do is I need to assume that and move out and be faithful. That's how I join up with him. Assume, not presume, right? As we've looked at at, at partnering with the Spirit, it's been clear multiple times, our heart has to be in the right place. I don't just go out and glibly do something. A humble, prayerful, faithful heart that'll be bold enough to say God's at work and here I am. That's it. There's no big formula. Just join God in what he's doing. It's that, actually it it is that simple. It looks a lot of different ways. When we think about the power of the spirit, we tend to think in terms of miraculous things. The power of the spirit for mission has got to involve dreams that he's given to people and they're coming to faith in dramatic ways. Or it's got to involve casting out demons or it's got to involve healing the sick. And I personally have been a part of all of those things and I find those things are much more prominent and regular in my experience when I'm actually engaged in mission than in anything else in my life. But I also find sometimes God's power is just unleashed in very quiet ways, ways that would be easy to overlook if I didn't understand that the Spirit is making me a witness to Christ and he's going with me every step of the way. On this trip, the empowerment was just for me to teach. I mean, we were there for a number of reasons and the initial invitation was, would you come and teach us? So I sure don't wanna mess that up. And, And I had taught things before and, and he said, teach that same stuff. It's like, okay, that'll work. And then he said, but I want you to teach more. So I created more material uh, to, to teach. And then when we got there, nothing is the same as you intend or think it's gonna be on a mission trip. And so it, it, the target changed three or four times while we're there. And every night I'm re-preparing my notes and re-preparing my heart and saying what's working, what's not. And, and it, was very, it was very draining for me. And then all of the stuff that I got done in 12 sessions last time that I extended out to cover 16 sessions without trying any differently, I got done in eight sessions. Wouldn't that be great if I could do that on a Sunday morning? (laughs) It's like, oh, please, Lord, give me that gift. I have to create four more sessions while I'm exhausted, while we're in the midst of all this ministry, and, and yet God was faithful. Now, you could look at that and say, I'm built for endurance, which I am. You can look at that and say, I'm really experienced at speaking and I have a lot of training and I'm, I'm, I'm good at my job and I, I, I think I am. But there's, all, thank you, Susan. <laughs> Just for that, I'm going another 15 minutes. Anyone else want to say amen? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, <laughs> there is more than just natural going on. It's not always super obvious, but it's actually happening. Whenever you and I are engaged in the mission of God, whenever we're sharing Christ, or whenever we're loving people in Jesus' name with an eye to sharing Christ, whenever we're living our redemptive lives in relationships so that his impact can happen in the world, he's at work. He's at work whether anything extraordinary happens or whether it's very mundane. He's at work whether it seems really obvious to my experience or whether it's kind of harder to see. He's at work. 
And my encouragement is that you and I would just join him in the work, that we would have these humble, faithful, prayerful hearts. Say, okay, Lord, here I am. In chapter four of Acts, we find that's exactly the perspective that the early believers had. The apostles were imprisoned. I'm gonna be in verse 29 in just a second. They were imprisoned, they were released, and um, they're threatened, stop the mission. They say, we can't do that, and they go back and they hold a prayer meeting, get everyone together. Notice what they pray, though. Notice what they ask God for. Verse 29, it says, now, Lord, look upon their threats. They're calling God's attention to what's going on. They don't have to do that for God's sake. He knows what's going on. He's got his eye on it. In fact, he's totally involved in that. They're calling God's attention to what's going on for their sake. So often, that's what my prayers have to be. I don't have to tell God what I need. I don't have to tell him what's going on or what's bothering me for his sake, but I sure do for mine. It's my way of saying, here I am, Lord. I'm lifting up the challenge, the problem, the fear, the hardship, the opportunity, the need, so that I can actively entrust myself to you. And that's what they do. And then it says, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Help us to just keep being faithful. We've tried to be faithful. We're going to be faithful. But we need your power in that. They're not asking for fireworks. They're asking for faithfulness. And then notice the second part. You grant that for us while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Ah, there's the fireworks. They're not even asking for it. They're expecting it. They're assuming it. They're saying, we know what you've asked us to do. We know who you're making us to be. You're making us your witnesses. And we just want to be faithful. We know that you'll show up. We expect that you'll show up. We assume that you'll show up. We're not being presumptuous. We're just being obedient. And so we expect that you'll do the amazing things, but for us, we just want to be faithful. Would you help us in that? And look at how it goes on. When they prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Amazing things did happen. You and I get to be involved in amazing things. Maybe, maybe you'll see something you go, whoa, that was surprising and impossible to explain apart from a direct intervention of God. Or maybe it'll look quieter than that. But he's invited us. In fact, he's creating us as missionaries. He's saying, you are my child, you are my witness, I've given you my spirit. Go live that out. What does it look like? Well, sometimes I feel prompted. Shared the opportunity for this trip with my men's group, and about a third of our team was from the men's group, and several of the guys from the group said, in that moment, God spoke, and he said, you need to go. It was an internal sense It wasn't that for me at all. Paul said, would you come and teach? And I said, probably. I already am pre-committed to those kinds of things. Let me just pray about it and make sure there's no reason that I shouldn't do that. There was not this moment. Sometimes the moment 
God sets up the circumstances and puts us in a place, and he says, here you are. It's your chance to be faithful. And that's not just going across the world. Sometimes it's going across the street, or sometimes it's because we have a hard time even going down the street. I've asked Denise to come and share a little bit of her story about how the Holy Spirit set her up. It doesn't get easier the second time. <laughs> um. These notes, a little bit nervous. Um, so the first week when we kicked off our Life in the Spirit series, um, we sang a simple song that I've sang many times before, and I really turned that song into a prayer. And this was following a powerful sermon by Pastor Robert. And um, the, the question that Pastor Robert asked that morning was, he asked us if we experience the Spirit's presence and if we've created enough space in our lives to hear him speak. And that really challenged me because I've, you know, I've gone through seasons where I feel like I've heard him speak before and felt him really close, but I just come away from this. This last year, my mom had been um, diagnosed with cancer and we're going through all that. And I did a lot of asking. There's so much asking. I constant asking and just really not enough listening. So this is important because I feel like this is what got me to this point fast forward a month. So um, through this entire time, I'm asking God to help me listen. So I can see more asking there, but really spending more quiet time listening to what he's trying, listening to his spirit, trying to feel him near and close. Um, And so that song was, spirit of a living God, fall afresh on me, melt me, mold me, use me, and guide me, fill me. Not that many, but yeah. <laughs> um, anyhow, uh, so fast forward a month, and I'm going to take you back to uh, just driving on our way to church and um, heard the thump, 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 dreaded flat tire, and uh, stepped out of the car, knew it was a flat tire right away, um, was stressed. I, Bobby was already at worship team rehearsal. He wasn't answering his phone. Kind of felt like maybe he was going to cry. I wasn't sure. There's even a neighbor who actually stopped by and said, hey, um, you know, I can take you to church. I told him what had happened on our way to church. like, uh, where's your church? I'm like, in Whittier. We're like all the way in Placentia. And he gave me that look like, yeah, I'm not driving you. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was, I was definitely, um, I looked like I was in distress. But I went with it, ended up at the 76 up the street and filled the t- tire with air and then proceeded to try to make it to the tire store. Um, we made it to the tire store, yay. Um, and, um, we had, so they told me they're gonna try to patch it up. It's gonna take some time. And right next door, there is a room kind of, there's like, so I've never seen like, it's like a room with no windows. And it was just, uh, Sophie, Katie and I, my daughters who are nine and five and, um, my, and this guy who's like in his fifties. So sort of felt like, oh, okay, well, pastries are going to go to our waste forgot to mention it was our day to bring snacks. So I had a box of pastries for our class with us. And so went back to the car and I um, grabbed the pastries, thought I'd share it with the crew there. And I offered one to this man who was waiting in the waiting room. Um, and of course they were delicious by the way. So he <laughs> eyes wind up and reached over and grabbed one. And um, that I feel like that was actually instrumental that morning into opening our conversation and what God did next. Um, and so he's sitting there eating the pastry, um, had sh- shared the rest of the box with the guys in the back and, um, came back and was going to reach for my phone. So, you know, catch up on stuff. <laughs> um, and I just felt this prompting in that moment, um, 
don't reach for your phone, just start talking to me. We had a little bit of small talk before, and so I opened the conversation with, you know, what do you usually do on Sunday mornings, and shared about our flat, and um, and was just listening to what he was saying, oh, he usually runs errands and does various things, um, telling him, you know, made sure to establish that I had a husband. So I said, you know, he had, uh, didn't want to think I was hitting on him. And so uh, I told him, yeah, my husband's already at worship practice. These pastries were intended for our class. I don't think we're going to make it. Um, anyhow, like rambling here, he said, uh, then I asked him, okay, so he, do you usually go to church? And he said, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, I've been to church. He he wasn't currently going to church at the time. And so I was whew, kind of happy to hear that. Didn't need to share God with him anymore. Um, but that wasn't really the case because I went back and this time I was really feeling the prompting. Like I needed to go back and I really needed to hear his story, whatever, you know, whatever that was. So I spent more time um, just talking to him. He started about talking about his home construction. And um, this whole time I'm praying, I'm like, God, if we're going to do this. Like I, I, I was feeling his presence in the room. I never felt alone. I felt like we were almost like coming up with the game plan together. It was kind of bizarre. Um, but just really feeling his presence close and feeling him near. And um, just asked him, um, uh, so conversation, he, he was opening up about his parents and loneliness, about them passing away. And um, eventually it ended up where uh, we started talking about the plane crash in your Belinda that had landed on a home. So that's about five minutes away from both where we live. And just how those people were going about their day. Um, they were not knowing it was going to be their last day on earth, getting ready for a Super Bowl party. And bam, just like that, their life ended. And that, there, God did it right there. And I asked him the question, if you were to die in this moment, where would you go? And um, he thought about it for a little bit, and he said, heaven, I hope. And so, or I think, I can't remember if I hope or I think. I don't remember exactly. But that really opened the door to just sharing the gospel and telling me you don't have to be unsure. I know for sure where I'm going to go, and here's how you can know for sure where you're going to go. And I'm not sure if he had heard the message before or not, but I was feeling prompted to share with him again. And so it, it, was, it was a good conversation. Um, kind of went off. Um, uh, after that, we talked about his Mormon boss and how they're coming close to him and embracing him into, into their circle. And he was going to take him on his helicopter. And um, that was just telling him, uh, he's so amazed by how marvelous Mormon people are and how good they are and how many good deeds they do. And I was just pointing back to scripture. Telling me, God doesn't need, you know, he's not asking deeds of us. He's not asking us to do things. He just wants you. And that's all he wants. He wants your heart. He wants surrender. Um, and so I feel like that conversation happened for a reason. I shared uh, John fourteen six with him, where God says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And this, this whole time I'm praying, even after that, I'm like, hmm, that was good. Because <laughs> I was just feeling like the Spirit really leading the conversation. So um, anyhow, I'll wrap up here. Um, the guy came in, the serviceman said, hey, your car's done, no charge, which again is something you never hear. He had patched up the tire. That was really nice. Um, and then it was, you know, I was going to say goodbye or I was going to, again, spirit leading me to, to pray with him. And that, that battle, that, you know, that conflict that Kyle talked about a few weeks ago was real, recognized like, uh, maybe just walk away. 
done enough. <laughs> um, but sat down, we prayed together and just really asked based on the questions that he was asking and where the conversation went that God would make it real to him that he would open his heart to um, what God was asking of him. And so we had a chance to pray together. And um, yeah, I mean, that's sort of what happened. And we got into the car and it um, sort of dawned on me, you know, Sophie said, hey, mom, that was pretty cool. We got to share Jesus with the man and um, we got to pray with him. And she's feeling a part of, she's right there. She's feeling part of it, which was really neat. And I feel like nothing happened by coincidence. Um, the pastry sitting in there. And I'm, I'm glad, I guess I can say that, I had opened myself up to hearing God and hearing his promptings. And I'm not sure six months ago if I could say that. I probably would have reached for my phone and, you know, spent time with the kids. And so, um, so yeah, nothing by coincidence. And don't want to miss any step for the Holy Spirit leads. So. So some of you have been stewing over this question for a long time. What does the voice of the Holy Spirit sound like? And sometimes it sounds like thump, 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 thump. And how do I, how do I share Christ? Sometimes it starts with sharing a pastry, right? It's just part of regular life because that's what God does and we are his witnesses. And he works through that. And he works in us first. I think it's really important to remember that... Um, the command to go and make disciples, which is, it is a command in Matthew, starts with me. Making disciples, I'm a disciple. And sometimes when I'm joining with what the Holy Spirit is doing, it's as much or more for me than for anything else. It may transform me so that later on I have a greater impact in the world, but it's totally significant what he does in me. And I've asked Seth to come and share a little bit of his story. Thanks. So yeah, I was one of the 14 that went to Cambodia. I think in the last service, Lauren said I was an American. I'm not an American citizen, I'm a Canadian citizen. Um, yeah, I, I went to Cambodia um, expecting to go and help out the Cambodians and give them all my effort and all my strength. And I came back, I think having done so, but also being changed myself. And so, um, it kind of took place um, in one of the wells we were drilling near the end of the trip, actually. Um, we'd already dug a little bit of uh, wells in another place, and so we came to this one spot. Um, this place had no shade. This place was sun-baked. Um, and this place, we didn't have a Cambodian team helping us out. So it was just us, some of the Redemption Hill boys, plus a couple pickaxes and a couple shovels, some really nice new ones that we picked up at the store. And so we just started, like, we just showed up to the job site, said this is the spot, and just started to go at it. And we started to, like, bend tools. I know Steven, like, was lifting up a brand new pickaxe and he had bent the end of it. We're like, whoa, this is crazy. It, like, an hour or two had passed by and we hadn't even dug, like, two feet. We are like, it was bad, and we were just sweating, and it was starting to heat up. It was probably 90 degrees at the start. Now it's getting close to 100. Um, yeah, the humidity was crazy, and things started to soften up a little bit, and we're like, okay, this is good. We're going we're gonna to do this, 
And that's when like our shovels just hit, like it, our shovels just went clank. Like we, we hit like rock. Um, and it was like this red rock. And we look over to another um, pool nearby and we see this rock. It goes down like 10 feet. And we're like, uh-oh, we're not going to be able to do this. I started to freak out. I was like, you know what, guys, we got to stop. The Cambodians would probably laugh at us if they saw that we were actually trying to do this with just hand tools. Let's bring in the machinery. Like, we can't do this anymore. And so we're sitting around, just kind of scratching our heads, and that's when the Cambodian team shows up. And they just kind of walk over. They set up a little tent thing. They've got their tiny little shovels, and their pickaxes are probably that long. And we're like, nah, they're going to notice as soon as they hit the rock. They're going to you know, have the same reaction. And that's not what happened. We just sat there sweating as these Cambodians just slow and surely dug away and dug down and down and down. And the progress they were making was far more than what we were doing. We were just, you know, hammering as hard as we could, taking breaks after like 45 seconds. It was... Oh, yeah. It was bad. We went through almost all of our water. Some of us were feeling sick. It was bad. And so this, like, revealed to me a lot of things. I was in James chapter 5 talking about patience and steadfastness, waiting until the coming of Christ. Um, and that just struck me so hard. I was thinking, like, this is so much more than just me, like, digging a hole. This is my whole life. This is me at school and my academics. This is me wanting a job in the future. This is me in relationships, just, like, throwing all my passion into something and then saying, oh, actually, it's kind of hard. I, you know what? Maybe it's not for me. Maybe this isn't. And so that really shook me and it made me think about what it looks like to live in the spirit and be prompted by him instead of you know saying oh if I have all this passion and I throw it at something everything's going to work out fine um saying no the way these Cambodians are working is in a way of patience with the soil steadfastness in James 5 as it talks about the the farmer um waiting for the fruits of the earth we're waiting for this water to shoot up and so, yeah, that was something that really stood out to me. Um, and I think, you know, I came to Cambodia saying, ah, they're, you know, I'm going to give them all the help that they, they, they need. And it's like, no, actually, they taught me this, this truth that I found in scripture. So, yeah, that's just a little bit of what I learned in Cambodia. Thanks, Robert. Sometimes when I'm faithful in mission, God works more in me than in anyone else. Uh, there is a well there, by the way. That was the one that Alex and, uh, and Lauren were able to speak at, the dedication where we cut off the belt of the one guy and Andrew sacrificed his. I was going to sacrifice mine, but we didn't need a second convert, and uh, so we, uh, Andrew sacrificed his. Um, the point is pretty simple. You're a witness, and you're empowered by the Spirit. That's it. You don't need anything else. Oh, it's helpful to have training. It's helpful to look for opportunities. It's always good to be prayerful, but the bottom line is the Holy Spirit has come upon you if you're a child of God and you are a witness. And he's just saying, let's go do this thing. Walk across the street. Talk to that guy at work. Talk to the person at school. Maybe go across the world, but join me in what I'm doing, because I've already given you what you need. You've got my spirit. So my question for you is, um, are you in? Is that what you want to? 
We're going to ask the ushers to come. We're going to take our offering, and as we do, I'm going to pray for us the prayer that I think is most appropriate at this juncture. If that's where you are, you're saying, yeah, Lord, I know you've made me your witness, and I, I want to be faithful in that. Um, every time we take an offering, it's a chance for us to give. Uh, we use these financial gifts to send people to Cambodia and to turn on the lights so we can see in the air, and a whole lot of other things that we believe God is using to transform lives, and it's a really significant thing. And I pray that as you do that, you'll do it as an act of worship. But more significantly than whatever you might or might not put in the bag right now is you, because the number one offering God wants is for you to give yourself. That's really the only thing he has to have to work in your life. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our gifts. Um, But he does need me if he and I are going to have a relationship. So just offer yourself to him. And offer to yourself to him as one who is a witness willing to be faithful and step out. And here's my prayer for us. Lord, I pray that you would look upon the circumstances in each of our lives and in our life as a church and that you would grant to your servants that we would continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And I pray that you would shake us and fill us with your spirit as your witnesses. In Jesus' name.